Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Hey, good morning, and welcome to Bergen Park Church. That's where you are. BPC! We're glad to have you guys with us this morning. Um, yeah, we're going to be turning to uh, John chapter 10 if you want to go there. Let me kind of intro why. We're going to spend a few weeks in this passage, and then Christmas is coming. It's coming. Advent starts on November 28th. So if you don't know in the church calendar, Advent is the anticipation, the coming of the Messiah. It means just kind of anticipating Christ's coming. We're going to start celebrating that Christmas, you know, November 28th. And so we're going to be anticipating that. But right now, you know, just where I am, this has been, I'm just going to share out of my own heart and what God's teaching me where I've been sitting. And I've been wrestling with this reality that the way you see the world will determine how you live in the world. So the way you see the world will determine how you live in the world. And so if you see the world as a place of just evil and chaos and chaos and evil win and evil men are taking control, you're gonna live that way. I mean, you're gonna live in anxiety, you're gonna live in fear, you're gonna think I gotta secure power for myself, I've gotta build up things to protect myself. I mean, that's one way to look at the world is just to see the world as a world of chaos or you can see the world the way Jesus saw the world. And Jesus admitted, yeah, the world is broken by sin, the world is, is corrupt, and yet there are evil men that are corrupting it, and yet the God of the universe, the good shepherd, is, is over the world. It's not released to evil. Instead, God is guiding, and even in the worst of circumstances, God is using it to bring something out. The way you see the world is gonna determine how you live in that world. And often, you know, when you look at the statistics, people believe in the existence of God. 80, 90% of people believe in the existence of God, but they have a hard time trusting the goodness of God. They believe he exists, but they don't believe he's good. Because though 80, 90% believe in his existence, only 15% may show up uh, week to week in some kind of worship gathering. And I think the reason is, is that suffering, injustice, the brokenness of the world, it hangs over us like a shadow. We see suffering, we feel suffering, we see what is wrong, we see what is evil, and we think we gotta take control, we gotta grab power, we have to force our way into that and make it right. And that suffering and that brokenness kind of clouds our vision of who God is. And yet Jesus, when he was speaking to his, his people, his disciples, listen, life wasn't good in the first century. I don't know if you know that. There was some serious persecution, serious suffering, I mean, serious martyrdom. And yet he said, guys, I know you're looking at the world and it's a mess, but the good shepherd's in control. The good shepherd is guiding and he's leading and he's, so, so this week, let me tell you why I'm, I'm gonna step into this and this is kind of fresh for me. I was in Luke chapter 12 and I came across this verse and it just, in my spirit, caused me to pause. And it says, fear not, this is Luke chapter 12, verse 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, if you go in Luke 12, now we're gonna be in John 10. I know I told you that and you're skipping around so you're like, he told me it was John 10. Uh, if you go into Luke 12, you're gonna find that the preceding section's all about anxiety, scarcity. Hey, is there gonna be enough food? Is there gonna be enough clothing? Am I gonna have enough? And he says, listen guys, 
The Father knows what you need. I understand you're in a world that seems like there's scarcity abounds, fear abounds, anxiety abounds. But God is in control of that world. And here's the character of that God. He wants to be known by you in this world of chaos and sin as a good shepherd. And the question I have for you and the question I really have for myself, am I allowing that vision of God to influence how I live in the world? Because listen, if you think the world is just fear, chaos, evil men are winning and all that kind of stuff, you're not going to obey Jesus' teaching or follow him. And what did he say? When someone asks for something, give it to them. If they say, hey, let's go one mile, I'm going two, bro. You want my tunic? I'm gonna give you my cloak as well. When somebody hurts you, forgive them. When somebody persecutes you, punch them. You know it. Forgive them. Pray for those who persecute you. You can't live like that unless there's a good shepherd in control of the world. Think about it. You can't live. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. If the world is just about chaos and evil is going to win, if there's a good shepherd behind the world, the teachings of Jesus, they make, they make sense. And so I want to now jump into John chapter 10 and just really ask that question, do we allow our vision of God to be transformed by the way Jesus saw the world and Jesus saw the Father? And so let's jump into it. John chapter 10, we're gonna pick it up in verse one. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, and to him... The gatekeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he has brought all out his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. Because they know his voice. They know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. But they will flee for him for they do not know the voice of the stranger. And see this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And so he's gonna tell them again. Truly, truly, I'm saying to you, I am the door for the sheep. And all who come before me, they were thieves and robbers, and the sheep didn't listen to them. But I am the door. Even if anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in, and he will go out, and he will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But see, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. And the shepherd, he lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf. He sees it coming. And he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf snatches them and he scatters them. And he flees because he's just a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Father, would you teach us and guide us? Would you lead us wherever we are this morning, whether it is in a place of fear and anxiety? Father, even in a place of anger towards the things that we may see that's happening in our world. Anger will not win. Fear will not win. Anxiety will not win. Stealing, killing, destroying, it will not win. We have to surrender to our good shepherd. And so, Father, would you show us what that looks like and meet us in that place through the power of the Spirit to reveal the truth of who you are. And, Father, in that place, 
to give us that sense of resting, trusting, believing in you. Guide us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So John 10, John 10 is this contrast. The contrast between, in some ways, different types of leadership styles, because he talks about the thief, and there are those that'll lead you, but they don't care about you. They're not leading you to take you in the right direction. They're really leading you to get something for themselves and getting power, getting authority, getting influence. And in that, they're killing, they're stealing, destroying. Because see, when he's talking about shepherding, that was a, a, the language of leadership in the Old Testament. That you know a leader represents God because they're gonna look like this. They're gonna, they're gonna act like this. They're going to speak like this. And if you go to John chapter nine, just preceding, it's the story of this man who is blind from birth. And Jesus heals him. So Jesus speaks and the sheep hear his voice. He couldn't see, he could hear. He recognized the voice of the shepherd. He responds to the voice of the shepherd. The shepherd cares for him. He, he speaks into his life, he heals him, he takes him in a different path. And then some thieves came in. You weren't really born blind. Must be some sin in your life, some religious leaders, because religious leaders love to kill the joy out of God. And they come in and they abuse him and they curse him and they doubt what God is doing in his life. And Jesus is saying, if it's from the Father, it's gonna be, it's gonna look like the good shepherd. And he's contrasting. And then when you look at the passage, you look at the language. This is describing the relationship between your creator and his creation. Not just his creation, his rebellious creation. The, the, the creation that was rebellious and at enmity with him, that cursed him, that mocked him, and yet he says, look at this language, verse three. The sheep hear his voice. It's familiar. He knows his sheep. He calls them by name and he leads them out. He identifies with them. He sees them. He knows them. He knows their color. He knows their shape. He knows their names. And then he says in verse four, and he's brought them out all his own and he, he goes before them. He not only calls them and knows them, he leads them. And the sheep, they willingly follow because they know his voice. And then down in verse 11, he keeps telling us, I'm the good shepherd, guys. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. And he lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Now, when we think of this concept of a shepherd, we need to start asking, what was the relationship from sheep to shepherd? And the reality was the shepherd was everything to the sheep. Shepherd was everything, protector, provider, caregiver, physician. I mean, the shepherd was everything, which means he's saying, first of all, Jesus is saying, you need a shepherd. And if you're gonna have that shepherd, that shepherd has to be everything. That's why in the story of Jesus' birth, right, there were shepherds out in the fields. You gotta get ready for this, right? Keeping watch over their flocks by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting into it. And they were sore afraid. Why were they out in the fields watching other flocks by night? Because that's what shepherds do. They're constantly with the sheep, guiding, protecting, leading, directing. This is the nature of a shepherd. And yet when you get down in verse 14, it goes so much deeper because he says, listen, I'm the good shepherd. I know them. I know them. I know how messed up they are. I know how smelly they are. I know the directions they go in. I know them. Verse 15, just as... Now that's a huge contrast. As the father knows me and loves me and I know the father and I love the father, I love the sheep and they know me. And what does he do? The expression of love is self-sacrifice. I lay down my life for the sheep. Here's where I want us to sit today. The idea of Jesus' relationship to us is the idea that he knows you, he knows you, he knows you completely. 
and yet he sacrifices fully. He knows you completely. He knows your fears and anxieties. He knows your sins and addictions. He knows, he knows the things that keep you up at night and the stuff that you've done that you've not told anybody about and the sins that you're hiding you think he can't see, but he really sees them. He knows all of that. He knows you fully, and yet he loves you and sacrifices completely. Think of it this way. I was, I was thinking about this. Imagine you went 10 years back and, and somebody showed up to you 10 years ago. So think of the last 10 years. Think of all your good behavior, the nice things you've said to people, the self-sacrificial love and how you went two miles. Remember when you did that and, and you gave to those that asked, all of you guys did this. So think of all that stuff you did. And somebody went back 10 years ago and they sat you down and they had this piece of paper and it was a list of all the horrible things you're gonna say to people. And it was a list of all the horrible things you were gonna do. And they presented it right before, and you know you've done it because you can think of the last 10 years. So think of all that stuff. And what if you saw that 10 years of your stuff on that piece of paper and they said, this is what you're gonna do. How would you respond? Who do you think I am? What kind of person? I mean, really, think about it. Would you, I'd be a little defensive. Are you kidding me? That's not in me. Who do you, what kind of you'd be defensive. And all that is to say we need a shepherd. We don't know ourselves. We don't know the depths of our own brokenness, the depths of our own fear. We look out at the world and we see a world of evil and chaos and we think we gotta take control and we gotta get power alongside us. And he's saying, no, what you need to do is you need to see the world the way Jesus saw the world and you need to see the Father the way Jesus saw the Father. And if you'll do that, you'll obey his commands. But see, we don't see the world that Jesus, the way that Jesus sees the world. But if we did, we would admit we need a shepherd. I was reading a, a book recently and it was, uh, it was talking a lot about the relationship between father and son. And it was telling the story about a father and his son and they owned this family business and they were very, very close, you know, growing up. And then the son, you know, kind of went his own way and, and went down this path of rebellion. And the father did, you know, as much as he could. He wasn't a perfect dad, but he did as much as he could to try to provide for his son and yet the son went down this path of addiction and brokenness, and yet the father kept, kept him in the family business, kept providing for him, kept hoping that that day would come where he would see the light and he'd move in the right direction. Well, things only got worse and worse and worse, and eventually the son started embezzling and stealing from his father's business. This was a couple of months into that, and one night, late at night, he just he, he thought that was it. My life is over. There's no way I can admit this. My father's been good to me. There's no way I can admit this. I'm gonna take my own life. And so he grabbed some, some liquor, he grabbed a gun, went to his father's business, sat down at the desk and started writing this note, Dad, this is what I've been doing, this is what I stole, this is what I've done, he's been drinking, he was drinking. And before he could take his life, the son just passed out on the desk. Next day, father gets up, goes to the office, finds his son, finds the gun, finds the liquor, finds this note. Everything is exposed. Father takes the note, takes the gun away, and he writes on the note this. Son, now that everything is known, will you finally allow me to love you? We can solve this together. Love your dad. Do you know what that's called? Freedom. Fully known. You see me to the depths, and yet you sacrifice Completely. I lay down my life for my sheep. I know my sheep. 
I know where they run off to. I know they love to eat the wrong things and pursue the wrong things. I love my sheep, I know them, and I lay down my life. And then in verse 27, as you look down, we didn't read this, but he goes on to say, my sheep know my voice, and I know them, and they will follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one, notice this, no one's going to snatch them out of my hands. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all. He is more powerful than the world, more powerful than the evil, more powerful than the chaos, and no one is able to snatch them from from my father's hands. Realize what he's saying. If he knows you fully, he knows where you're gonna run. He knows where you're gonna hide. He knows where you're gonna get lost. And when you get lost, what does he do? I hate being a shepherd. Hate these sheep. They constantly get lost. I gotta go find them. I gotta leave the 99 behind. Bunch of worthless sheep. And then he carries that thing in, just throws it down back in the pen. What does he do? He gets back. He says, guys, listen, I found him. Because I know he's dumb. I know where he's going. And I know where to find him. And that's how committed he is to you. He knows his sheep. He knows their weaknesses. You can't surprise him. It's not like our sins suddenly like he's like, oops, I didn't realize Jason was that messed up. I knew I had to die, but I didn't know I had to die, die. Right? I was mostly dead or whatever. Princess bride there, sorry. Yeah, some of you just kind of, Thanks. That's our shepherd. And so if that is the nature and the character, Jesus is revealing this, saying this is the nature of our our God. Have you allowed that image to change the way you see the Father? In a world of evil, in a world of chaos, in a world of anxiety, in a world of fear, do you see him as the good shepherd? If you do, how would you respond to someone who is a God like that? And this is where I wanna, I wanna kind of land is it, as I was thinking this week about my own challenges and struggles and difficulties, if that's my God and he reveals himself with the nature of this good shepherd and there's brokenness in the world and there's conflicts and there's difficulties, I wanna surrender him to him completely. I wanna surrender to him habitually, meaning moment by moment. And then this is the last thing, I wanna surrender to him joyfully. If this is truly the character of our God, and part of being a disciple of Jesus is to be with Jesus, to become like him and do what he does. And so if I'm gonna be with him, I wanna be with him completely. I wanna be with him habitually. And finally, I wanna know what it means to follow him joyfully. So let's just kind of track and take this theme of a shepherd and see how that would be the most natural behavior for a sheep. Because if Jesus is your shepherd, again, the shepherd was everything to the sheep. It's not like the sheep could say to the shepherd, I'm not going there. I'm not heading in that direction. Because see, that's the valley of the shadow of death. But see, realize there's greener pastures on the other side. There's quiet waters, Jason. I know it looks dark. I know it looks difficult. But see, on the other side, no, Jesus, I'm not going there because that's hard, that's difficult, that's sacrifice. I'm not gonna trust you. Well, you're a sheep. You're not the shepherd. And I know the sheep and shepherd metaphor is very nurturing, but it's also very law-giving and authority-giving because that shepherd was everything. He had total authority, and to trust him was to give yourself completely. It's not like one aspect of my life, okay, Jesus, my kids are yours, my wife is yours, my money's yours, but this is mine. And I'm gonna kind of segregate, you know, I'm gonna take this aspect of my life, and I know you forgive me because you have to, right? You died, and so I'm not gonna surrender that to you. You're gonna be my shepherd over here and over here and over here. He's gonna say, no, that's stealing, killing, destroying. That doesn't bring life. 
Because to truly know the good shepherd, you've gotta give it all, you've gotta surrender. Peter, Peter's a great example. Peter did not wanna surrender. I mean, the guy would never tap out. You know, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. What is he doing? Not my feet. You can wash John's feet, kid's dirty. James' feet, Thaddeus, all those guys. Those guys need some Bartholomew, whoever he was. Not washing my feet, Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Peter, you gotta learn to tap out. You gotta learn to surrender. Because see, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. (laughs) And Peter's like, okay, (laughs) wash it all. And then later on, Jesus is like, listen, Peter, I'm going to the cross. You're not dying for me, Jesus. I'm not abandoning you. I'm not gonna give up on you. They could throw me to the lions. I'm gonna be tough. I'm gonna hold on. It's like, Peter, you need to tap out. You need to surrender. You need to give in. I need to have all of you. Stop trying to prove yourself to me as if that's gonna make me love you. Surrender. It's complete. When Jesus is our shepherd, when the Father is our shepherd, it's it's complete. And the Father says to us, Hebrews 13, 5, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Jesus says in the Great Commission, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, sometimes people will emphasize that means God, God won't abandon you, and that's good, but I think it means God never leaves you. I think he's low, he's with you always when you're at church and then when you're not. When you're involved in something you shouldn't be involved in, when you're yelling at someone and when you're angry at someone and when you're anxious, when you're looking at something you shouldn't be looking at, when you're allowing something to fill your mind, your heart, your emotions, he's saying, I'm not gonna forsake you right now. You're mine. The shepherd's with you whether you're eating the right thing or the wrong thing, whether you're lost, whether you're found, whether you're connected to him or not, the shepherd is always with you. Give yourself completely. This is who he is. And then second, we need to give ourselves habitually, which means we need to make a routine of bringing that shepherd into our lives. There isn't a moment in a sheep's life where the shepherd isn't the shepherd. They constantly need and are dependent upon that shepherd. And that's what gives them safety, life. That's what allows them to be sheep. They can do sheep stuff. You know, for a while, my wife and I, we, uh, you know, we kind of grew up in Texas, but we, uh, I went to seminary in Boston, got married in Boston. Um, I know you guys don't like Tom Brady, it's okay. He's in Tampa, he's in, he's in Florida now, so it's different, but... Um, for a while, for one year, we lived in Boston, in, in the city. And if you live in a city like that, that has cow paths for streets, you have to learn public transportation. You gotta figure it out. And it's a mess. You know, Big Dig was going on. This is a mess at that time. Streets were all torn up. And you had to learn buses, and you had to learn the subway. And see, we lived in the city, but here's something that was really amazing. Why I really love the Red Sox, they gave free tickets to pastors. Yeah, yeah, right? They know how to treat their pastors. They were good Catholics and, and they owned, owned the Red Sox and so they would give uh, to pastors, they give you this card and I've got both of my cards, still got them to this day and uh, they give you standing room and standing room in Fenway is awesome because everybody's in it. There's no business getting done at a Red Sox game. Listen, you don't go there to do business. You go there to enjoy the game. And so I had these tickets. Now, to get from where we lived in Quincy, which is kind of the south side of Boston, to, to Fenway, it's, it's, depending on the time of day, it's hard. I mean, sometimes it's all subways, sometimes it's subway bus, sometimes it's bus, subway bus. I mean, it just depends on what's going on. And so in the beginning, I had to ask questions. And, and I would look at the maps and I'd talk to people and say, hey, listen, I'm going to the game today. It's an afternoon game. What should I take? Which direction should I go? And, and I was really dependent upon them. And then the hardest thing was going back because see, the subway shut down. The bus is shut down, certainly when it's extra innings, like two in the morning, how do I get back? 
And you, you, have to, you have to be dependent. But see, in, in being dependent, I always got to the game. I was independent. And recognizing my weakness, I was strong. But see, about six months in, I thought I knew where I was. And I thought I knew where to go. And as soon as I thought I was independent, that's where everything fell apart. That's when I started getting lost. Because I thought I had this. I've been here. I've done it. No, you're a sheep. You're a sheep. How are you working in that dependency into your strengths? We all have weaknesses, right? But you think you got work until you don't. You think you have marriage. You think you have this. I've got it under control. You know, that is exactly where the thief steals and kills and destroys. It's in those areas of blind spots. It's those areas that you think you've got and you're not dependent on them, whether it's money or success or whatever it is. What would it look like to be dependent upon that shepherd? And how are you working that into your daily life? You know, for me, I practice the daily offices. Now there's five, I don't do five, I do three. And what that is, is meeting with the Lord in the morning. I pray the Lord's prayer, noon or 115 if I remember. You know, whatever time, just pray the Lord's prayer. And then at night, in, in my bed, I reflectively pray about what I read that morning and how I didn't do what it said to do. Because that's kind of, but that's a part of it. You realize, God, you gave me this word in the morning and I needed it, and I didn't do it, and I didn't follow you. Gosh, you're so gracious. And that's, that's my day. But what does it look like for you to be habitual? And then finally, what, if this is our good shepherd, how can you walk in this reality joyfully? And this is what's so amazing about this passage. So let's jump in and, and we'll close on this, this idea. Because if you look down, and actually, let me go back just, just real quick. It's 2 Corinthians 12, 9. You know, Paul would say, I'm gonna boast in my weakness. And here's why. Because God says to him in his weakness, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Verse 10. For Christ's sake, then, I am content with weakness, as I look out in the world, I'm content with the insults. Are you content with the insults? Are you content with the hardships? He's saying, I'm content with the persecutions. I'm content with the calamities. Why? Because they make me weak, make me angry. And instead of running to power, instead of manipulating, I'm going to admit my weakness. I'm gonna surrender to my shepherd and he's gonna do through me what otherwise would be impossible. It's only in weakness that he makes us strong. And so jump down, okay, verse 10. His presence joyfully, the thief only comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is the hired hand and not the shepherd who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf, he sees it, but he leaves, and he flees. And the wolf takes them, scatters them, and why? Verse 13, here's the key. Here's why, because he flees, because he's just the hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. See, what does a false leader do? A false leader uses you to get something for themselves. They don't care about you. Now, they may appear to care. They may seem like they care, but what they're getting is they're getting what you can give them until what you can give them is no longer there and the wolf comes, and they're gonna abandon you. But see, for the true shepherd, where was his value? Where was his wealth? Where was his glory? Where was his joy? It's in the sheep. It's in the sheep. 
The sheep are his wealth. They don't have liquid assets, no 401ks, no investments, no place in veil or wherever it is. They have sheep. And the reason they care for the sheep is that sheep represents their glory, their joy, and he lays down his life because he values and treasures the sheep. The sheep that he knows, the sheep that wander, the sheep that are a pain in the butt, the sheep that he cares for them so deeply he sacrifices fully because he treasures them. That's the nature and the character of our God. Do you realize that? That's the nature of the God. In a world of chaos, in a world of evil, in a world that's messed up out there, you can choose to try to take control or trust the one who's in control of all things. Be obedient to him and listen, he'll take you through the valleys of the shadow of death. Jesus was obedient to the Father and he went to the cross. It doesn't mean that obedience to God is somehow gonna get you to this place where it's just everything's great. No, you will be persecuted, you will be rejected, but in following the shepherd in the midst of that, people see the gospel, they see the glory of God, they see our Father. Because why? We're surrendering to our weakness and we're allowing his strength to work through us and they say, okay, that's real. That's real. You know, when you go to one of those award banquets, you know, kids graduating from kindergarten. I know we all make fun of it until we're there. Trust me, when you get a kid in kindergarten, he's graduating, you're like, yes, that's my kid. He's awesome. And you always know which parent belongs to which kid, right? I mean, certainly today. Because as soon as that kid, you know, his name, that parents get up and they got the camera, they got, got to film this moment, <laughs> got to capture this for eternity. And, and they're smiling ear to ear, why? That's their treasure. That's their treasure. That's their joy. Jesus says, I know you to the core, I lay down my life, why? And we're gonna talk about why Jesus had to lay down his life if uh, we didn't really bring that in this week, but we'll, we'll talk about it next week. He lays down his life because he puts his treasure in you. And if you find in your sin, and listen, he doesn't leave you or forsake you. So in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your brokenness, if you realize he's not abandoning you, he is with you, he's pursuing you. If you realize he's treasuring you in your mess, you will be able to find your treasure in him. You'll be able to rest in him and trust in a world of brokenness. What he's giving us, his commands, it's for life. It's for life. But you've gotta be willing to surrender. There's no better way for us to do that today uh, than to celebrate uh, communion together. I know we're, this is a new practice for us to do this every week. And so if you don't have elements, there's other people that don't, so you're free to get up. And there's some up front, and there's also some in the back. Stephen's gonna come up wherever Stephen is. Oh, there he is. And he's gonna lead us. And as we take these elements, we want to, uh, you know, spend a few moments just simply in reflection inviting the Holy Spirit to guide us, to speak to us. And maybe it's in one of these areas, just simply Father saying to the Father, I don't trust that you are who you say you are. I see a world of evil and suffering. I know what's happened to me. Father, I am struggling to trust that you are this good shepherd. And Father, I'm, tr I'm struggling to trust that being an obedient to you is sometimes the best or the wisest choice because you sometimes take me down paths that are difficult. And so wherever you are today, maybe as we hold these elements and Stephen plays, let's just allow the Father to speak to us, allow the Spirit to convict us, to open our hearts to him, to confess our brokenness and sin, and just simply say, Father, we need you. We need you, we need you.
the night in which, the very night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said, take and eat for this is my body, which is broken for you. Receive this together in remembrance of me. same way after supper he raised this cup and he said this is the in this cup is the new covenant it's the new promise it's the new relationship that's not established in your obedience it's established in mine and so receive this cup together in remembrance of him